Check, check. There we go. He's going to dial me in. Perfect. Does that sound okay, Josh? You good? Something's funky, but he'll get it. Hi, Jenny. I saved this table for you right up here. Oh. It's just the mess over here, Mars. You guys are Mars. You should go back in the back corner. We have Maroon back there. It's just me and then Sarah and Obi are back there and Tristan Blake. You could be with us, Steve. Isn't that exciting? <clears throat> yeah, back there in the corner. We'll make room. We'll make room. You've been kicked out. You have to go to the back row. All right. I'm so far away from you now they have like this table separation. What is happening right here? Nobody wants to be in the front. We'll see if people come late. They have to come and do the walk of shame all the way to the front. I thought about it. It's like moving right there. Then I can't see my notes as much. Um, hey, thanks for being here. This is, uh, this is the third week. So after tonight, we'll be halfway through. So thanks for coming. Uh, just about um, one year ago, yeah, just about one year ago, Gabby and her mom and her sister, uh, they took a weekend uh, trip. So they went to see uh, the Lion King um, somewhere in Ohio, and it was cool for them. And I had, so I had the girls. <clears throat> so I had all four of the girls. They were seven, five, four, and one at the time. Um, and I had been wanting to go to uh, Bass Pro Shops to get some better fall hunting gear. I had a, a gift card, and so I knew the girls would love it. If you've ever been there, there's lots of cool things there. All the animals, the fish, the breakable things. Um, I knew they would love it. So uh, I packed them all up on Saturday, and I headed out. Um, and we, got, we got there, and it was like pouring rain. We're soaked on the way in. That's okay. We go in, and I was right. Uh, they loved it. Um, a little too much. Um, the whole like outdoorsy vibe uh, triggered their minds <laughs> to be these crazy barefoot people uh, like their mother. And <clears throat> they just unleashed their childishness in the store. Um, and it was like, you remember this, there's seven, five, four, and one um, without their mother. Uh, so it was like herding cats the entire time that I was there, the rest of the time. And I had uh, my worst day being a dad. That, that day ever. Uh, so I spent the next like few hours trying to keep them in line, keeping Lena entertained. I was short with them. I snapped at them. I communicated my disapproval at them. I exasperated them. Uh, Sophie like lost it a few times. Emma had an attitude. Lena was overwhelmed and I made Kelly feel bad because uh, she should know better. Why? Uh, because they were breaking God's law? No but because I was trying to look for on-sale things that fit me, and I was super annoyed at having to pay any attention to them while I was trying to pay attention to me, right? Um, it, was, it, was, uh, it was a trip. Um, we got everybody home, uh, and that morning experience then like propelled us into the rest of the day. You all know how that works. And it was just, I was in a terrible mood. They fed off of that. I took it out on them. It was not a good day. Um, I remember Gabby coming home, I think late that night, I told her about the day, and I just, I wept. I wept. I felt like an utter failure as a dad uh, that day. Um, I had clearly communicated to them that that day I cared more about me in those moments than them, um, and I knew I couldn't have that day back. So that day sucked. <laughs> I, was, I felt like a failure at that point. Gabby let me cry. Probably let me feel a little bit more than she should. Um, <laughs> you know, that's what she deals with every day. Uh, but she reminded me, she reminded me that uh, God's mercies are new every morning. 
God's mercies are new every morning. So tomorrow was a new day. Tomorrow was a new day to seek forgiveness, to take a better step forward, to do something that mattered, right? To continue in that holy work of parenting. Uh, you all have stories like that, I know. <laughs> you all have stories like that. Um, those, are, those are things from the past. They hurt and they're real. Uh, but God's mercies are new every morning. Um, so what you do today matters. With the mercies that are new from the Lord, um, what you do now today matters. What you do this week matters. Um, we only have so many weeks with our kids before uh, they move out. So the weeks that we do have with them, they matter. Uh, what you do this week uh, matters. So you'll see behind me um, these several jars uh, of marbles. So there's ages on each of these jars or, or right below them. Each of those marbles represents one, one week. Okay, so from the moment your child is born, you have 936 weeks with them approximately until uh, 18, until they start that process, typically when they're starting to leave or move out, something along those lines. Um, I remember when Kelani was born, I had 936 weeks. Uh, she was born about a month after we were hired here. Um, that many weeks seems like a lot of weeks. That's almost a thousand weeks that you get to have with, with your kids. Um, she turns this age, <laughs> she turns this age in about two weeks. That's half of what was in there. I've lost my marbles. <laughs> lost half of those marbles. Right, so we've got 468 weeks left, so we're already halfway. Um, you know how fast it goes already. Like, I, the people have told you, your parents probably told you, like, it goes faster than you realize. And like, I even know that, and it still goes fast. Um, some of you, some of you have 12-year-olds, and so you're down to 312 weeks. Um, and when they get their license at 16, that's 104 measly weeks uh, before, they, before they move out. Um, that's a pretty sobering picture as you go. And I'm sure you can look at that and go, okay, where's my, where are my kids? Where are they line up there? It's a sobering picture, but it's not, it's not meant to guilt you, but it is meant to be a strong reminder that, uh, of the time that you've been given, right? Um, we, we are stewards of our children. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. What you do this week matters, again, not because you're attempting to produce perfect children, but uh, you are here to help them understand their dependence on the Lord in life and in death, okay? What you do this week matters. So we've talked a lot over the past couple weeks about um, some theory and some discipleship mission and what it looks like to own the gospel first as we use that as a filter before we jump into um, discipleship. Um, but this week we're going to talk more about um, just kind of some, some practical stuff. What does this look like to develop some strategy as we go, knowing that what we do this week it matters. It matters. So let's, let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for a chance to, to be here um, again today, to gather in this space, um, this church building um, as the church. Um, this is where we meet to encourage one another, to worship you, to grow in our faith uh, and the things that you've called us to. So thank you for that opportunity. God, I ask that you would move um, in our hearts tonight, that you would help us um, as we remember what you've called us to that we remember we have people that we can do that with, um, and that you are ultimately the one who gives us the strength uh, to do it. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, again, the last couple of weeks, we've talked uh, through an ownership of the gospel. That's our starting place of our parenting. The gospel is to be of utmost importance for us because it's, it's how we understand the very purpose of and power of the life that we're to live, right? Then discipleship mission 
is then to train up our children, impressing on them, Scripture says, the ways and the commands of God, that very life that we are to live. So I thought Vonda um, had some really unique thoughts for us, some unique insights for us last week, and two of them really stuck out to me um, in light of maybe our, cult, our, our current cultural uh, moment that we're in, um, and they were this, uh, just maybe re- retouching on just a couple of thoughts last week I thought were, were unique, um, good insights for us. One, discipling our kids aligns them with God's truth and His supremacy. Align, discipling our kids aligns them with God's truth and supremacy. So the reality is then that we must, we must be aligned with God's truth and His supremacy, right? Hence, ownership of the gospel, okay? The second thing that she said um, was discipling our kids will mean they are misunderstood by the world. Discipling our kids will mean they are misunderstood by the world. So do you remember what, uh, do you remember what Jesus said in John 18? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Or in the chapter before where he's praying to his father in John 17, I'll read this to you. Um, a couple of these verses will be on your, on your handout. But it says, I'm coming to you now. This is Jesus praying. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So increasingly, increasingly you are, you are seeing this happen. We are all seeing this happen. We are moving farther and farther from the truth. And some of you are already seeing your kids. Some of your kids are already are in that tension. Your, your kids are in a hard spot of being misunderstood by the world. Um, and that will only exponentially be more so by the time our kids hit young adulthood with the trajectory that we're heading. So the temptation then is to compromise. Don't do it. Do the opposite of that. Lean in to the, every opportunity you have to point them to the truth, um, that truth that is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. He is our ultimate rescuer and our ultimate uh, authority in all things that we say and do. So again, tonight we want to look at some very practical stuff. Keeping the gospel in front, of, in front of us, knowing the mission, what does it look like in real life? What kind of strategy can you develop um, to disciple uh, your kids? Now, tonight isn't going to be like a five-step program, okay? I'm not giving you a five-step program. Here's your course manual to parent correctly. That doesn't exist. Um, you will need to figure out what works well in your family. For we're all different. We have different rhythms and experiences, but... Um, there are some things that you should be doing, so my hope is that tonight you can walk away when we're finished, maybe with a few things that will help give you uh, maybe a structure or some ideas of how you can start implementing some strategy in your own homes. How do we disciple um, our, our children? Training your kids in the ways and the admonition of the Lord so that they can taste and see that He is good, okay? That's our, that's our goal. So I want to offer you a couple ways to strategize your discipleship, then maybe some specific ideas <clears throat> on how to how to apply it. Um, the second teaching time, I'll, uh, we'll cover a third way um, to strategize your discipleship, uh, and then again, some more practical ways to maybe apply some of that. Uh, so number one, um, strategy number one, disciple by prioritizing your time. Again, some of these are going to go like, oh, this is so general, and you know, of course. Just hear me, hear, hear, stick with me for a bit, okay? Disciple by prioritizing your time. Everybody hates that priorities word because we all know there's often a gap between what we say our priorities are 
and what our wallet and our calendar, and our calendar reveal that they are, right? Um, if you want to truly disciple your kids, you are going to have to reprioritize your time, okay? The first way we do that is time in the Word, okay? This is a reminder, essentially, from what Vonda said last week. Discipleship is not free-flowing spiritual exploration, okay? Let me ask you a few questions. So, in the idea that discipleship uh, begins by prioritizing time in the Word. Uh, do you believe, do you believe that you are called to disciple your kids? I heard one person say yes. Do you, it's interaction time, you can do it. Do you believe that you are called to disciple your kids? Do you believe that discipleship is training a child in the ways and commands of God? Do you believe that the Bible contains the ways and the commands of God? then the Bible is unavoidable. <laughs> it is unavoidable when it comes to discipling your kids. If that's what discipleship is, training them up in the ways and the admonition, the commands of the Lord, and you believe that you are called to that, you, we can't avoid Scripture. We can't. It has to be our number one priority. So we've talked about a lot of resources. You want a resource to end all resources. That's it. Scripture is the resource to end all resources. You have to be able to reckon with this, to reconcile with this, as cliche as it may feel, gathering your family around the truth of God has to be a priority. You have to prioritize time around it. Um, so think about when Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. In Ephesians 6, he says this, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Notice who he's addressing. Does he say, parents, tell your children that they need to obey you. He says, children, obey your parents. He's speaking directly to kids. The implication there, at least the expectation, is that children are either reading or they are directly hearing the Word of God taught to them. Again, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, one of the greatest uh, charges, in my opinion, for discipleship in all of Scripture. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 10 through 17. This is what it says. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the per persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. You know about all that. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, in my opinion, one of the greatest charges for discipleship in all the scripture right there. Family discipleship requires that you prioritize gathering around the truth of God's Word. There is no way around it. You're going to have to prioritize it. We'll give you some ideas of what that could look like. Uh, the second thing when it comes to prioritizing your time is time with other believers. Time with believers. You need to prioritize time with believers. Discipling your kids 
means you prioritize spending time with other believers. It's what you're doing here tonight. That's good. It's what Sunday morning is about. It's what's accomplished in life groups. Um, and it's in those rich moments with other families who are pursuing Christ alongside of you. Hebrews 10, uh, one of my favorite passages, I've preached on it several times, the verses 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some of are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So your Sunday morning involvement in a local church um, is not an attendance checkbox that is listed in the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay? It's not. But make no mistake, your absence potentially on a Sunday morning is communicating to your kids more than you know. Okay? And I know I, I realize I'm maybe preaching to the choir here. You guys have done the hard work of showing up on Sunday morning and on Sunday evening. Okay? So I'm just, let this encourage you maybe then. Okay? Remember that glass ceiling that we talked about a little bit uh, last week? Um, you remember what Obama was talking about there? Like, kids probably won't go beyond, as a general rule, the spiritual glass ceiling of their parents. So what you do to set an example or to disciple your kids in a certain way, the things that you communicate are important to you, what you give your time to and your energy to and your money to, your kids aren't going to go past that. So we're talking about that in the context of spending time with other believers, right? Someone, make sure someone comes and kicks a soapbox out from under me here in just a minute, but let me be on it for a little bit. Uh, let me talk about travel sports. I feel like I could sneak this in here just for a hot second. I'm glad you're laughing already. This is good. I've had so many conversations. Let me be real with you. I've had so many conversations with parents in person on the phone where they are desperate for the spiritual growth of their children and not knowing why they can't get them to youth group or why there's a disinterest in the things of God. Meanwhile, their son or daughter is batting 250 during Sunday morning tournaments and their Sunday morning church attendance ain't faring much better than that. I know I need to start discipling my kids, they tell me. And I say, oh, you've been discipling your kids. You've been discipling your kids. You are, training on, you are training them. You are impressing on them through your permissions and through your witnessable actions. You are creating in them a list of priorities. And on that list, you can be sure that their travel team ranks higher than their gathering together with other believers for growth, worship, and edification. So I can't tell you what to do but I'm going to try. Don't do travel sports. <laughs> Don't do it. You, it may start fine, but once you're in it, the temptation will be to compromise with the Sunday morning schedule. I remember being uh, on a, just basketball in high school, and summer ball was a thing, and travel sports weren't that crazy yet, but summer ball was a thing, and I remember my parents drew the line for me on Sunday morning, so I had to tell coach, I can play, but I can't be there on Sundays. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that my parents stepped in and said, you can do this, but not on Sundays. Like, we're going to do this together as a family. This is something that is going to be important to us. So don't do it. Hold the line, even if you face resistance. Baseball will fade away. Volleyball will fade away. Softball will fade away. But God's word will never fade away. If you want examples, I've got them. Teenagers from Christian families who are not walking with the Lord because a well-meaning mom and dad compromised and let a sport climb up on the throne where Jesus belongs. Okay, soapbox done. Prioritize time with other believers. Okay, why? Besides the obvious reasons, being when you're here or when you're in, involved in a church community gathering, a normal gathering, you're being taught the Word of God, you're being part of Spirit-filled worship, you're being held accountable and challenged by brothers and sisters in Christ, 
But you know why else that we need uh, to prioritize being with other believers? I, I need other believers to disciple and parent my kids. Right? You can't do this by yourself. I can't do this by myself, and you're not, you're not meant to. We were created to be in community together, right? I need Katie and Jordan to model Christ-likeness for my girls in ways that I can't, okay? I need Caleb and Jacene to correct my kids while I'm also standing there. That, and there's something powerful about that, and it's oddly therapeutic, by the way, when you hear, <laughs> when you hear another parent get to parent your kids, and you're sitting there going, mm-hmm, like, I just... <laughs> something about that. Um, but I mean, it's, it's funny, but like you realize how important that is, that they're hearing a consistent Christ-centered message across multiple people that they know that you trust. That's important. Time with other believers is important, okay? Thirdly, you need to prioritize time living out the gospel. So this is about deployment now, okay? We prioritize time in God's Word. We learn about what Jesus says, and now we go and we practice His ways, okay? How and where can your family participate in the redemptive work of Christ in the world around you, okay? How and where as a family can you prioritize serving and sharing the gospel? Where is God? So think about Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. We talked about that again this morning at the end of most services, where is God already at work through local organizations that you could partner with? Who fits that orphans and widows category that you can look after in James chapter 1, verse 27? Religion that God accepts as faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. How and where, who and how can you serve together as a family? Um, I believe a really key thought um, that is briefly covered in one of the books I'm going to suggest to you, um, Family Discipleship is what it's called, I'm pulling a lot, a lot of content from tonight from some of that. Um, a really key thought that is briefly covered in that book is the difference between telling your kids something and teaching them something when it comes to training them, okay? Telling is what am I going to say to my kids? Um, teaching is how can I help my kids understand something, okay? Shouldn't be such a novel concept, but the goal is, is living out the gospel, not simply telling them who Jesus is and how he wants us to live, but it is teaching them through real-life experience what it, what it looks like. So when it comes to serving and sharing the gospel, making disciples, the goal is that then when they move out, when they graduate from our homes, they can say, I've done that before, not just I remember hearing about this. Right? You see the difference? So family discipleship is about prioritizing your time, time in the Word, time gathered around the Word, time with believers, other believers, and time living out the gospel. Those things have to come to the forefront. So those three things. How, what could this look like on a, on a practical, even more of a practical level? Um, again, these things are going to look different for each of your families, but let's, let's maybe look at some ideas three different contexts, um, I think that we can, we can think about what it means to prioritize our time around these three different things. Um, you have daily opportunities to do this, you're going to have weekly opportunities to do this, and you've got to think about monthly opportunities to do these three things, prioritizing time in the Word with other believers and living out the gospel. So really what you need to do is figure out what rhythms you already have in your families and then how can you capitalize on those rhythms and reprioritize maybe the time within them, okay? So let's talk about daily opportunities for one. What happens on the daily, okay? Meals. I eat at least every day. I don't know about you. Um, eating together maybe isn't super commonplace, but our family still aims to do that, to sit down together together. 
um, at a full breakfast every morning. We don't always make that happen, but that's a daily gathering place for us. So we pray before our meal, not simply out of habit, um, but we, th- we want to think about the things that we're concerned about or that we're thankful for, and then we talk to God about it. We really have used our, uh, our praying time before a meal to actually teach our kids how to pray. That's been the primary place that we're teaching them how to pray is before a meal, not just to like, okay, we got to do the token prayer before we eat, but like, how do we actually teach them what prayer looks like? Because we do it all the time. If that's what we're going to pray every time, might as well teach them what it looks like to actually pray, okay? Uh, maybe it's a family dinner um, where you can do that or where you can, you know, again, you're, you're talking about where you saw God working that day um, or who did you see act like Jesus today? Like those are daily things that happen that you can begin prioritizing to, to gather around those moments. Um, maybe it's a daily commute. A lot of you have a daily commute. Many of you um, will drop kids off at school. Maybe you're making some type of consistent run where you have a kid in the car, Okay. Um, that is a prime opportunity that you have to talk about um, something God has taught you lately. Again, this is all under the assumption that you are owning the gospel already and that you are engaged in, in growing yourself, okay? And so with that assumption then, when you're in the car, you have a prime opportunity to talk about something that maybe God has taught you about. Um, to pray, maybe pray about things that your, your kid sees. Has any, any of your kids ever gone like, oh, there's an ambulance, we gotta pray? Or like, there's a police officer, let's pray. Like, we capitalize on that. Like, we started to do some of that. We're like, hey, look, there's a thing and we should pray about it. And then, okay, I'll be honest for a second. Like, we did that a few times and then it was like every police officer that we saw, we had this, uh, and then they want you to pray every time. And I was almost a little annoyed at one point and then I was like, why would I be annoyed at the fact that they hooked onto something, and then they actually want to do it. And, you know, it's surrounding, you know, let's bring this to the Lord. I'm like, again? Like, yes. <laughs> yeah, let's keep doing that. What a great thing, okay? Uh, use use your, your commutes as ways to, to work through some of those things. Maybe, maybe you can work on memorizing a verse together in the car. Have your, make it a car verse. I don't know. Um, you guys listen to music in the car. Again, we talk about music choices are important gospel-centered music, that's important. Those, those daily things, a, a commute is a big, is a big thing there. Um, bedtime routine, a daily bedtime routine. Everybody goes to bed, right? <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, that's a great place to get in some Bible reading. Just is. So typically in the Zook household, we read books before bed, and a lot of you do. Um, that's kind of a normal practice. A while ago, I don't remember why, just one night I've I, the Bible was right next to me, whatever. We decided to start reading from the book of John, just for funsies, right? Um, and so we read like the first chapter. And then the next night before bed, we're like, oh, let's read chapter two. And so we read chapter two before they went to bed. And then we read chapter three. And all of a sudden it just became, it was just like, it's what we did. We just read through John. We read through a gospel, one chapter at a time. Um, and all of a sudden it became this like rich time of scripture reading. Um, I would read and the girls would ask questions because obviously they don't understand all the language that's happening there. And so just, I would read one chapter at a time. I wouldn't even necessarily ultimately prepare for that, but I would just read it. And as we go, they would ask me questions or I would pause and kind of explain a word or a thought or idea that they may not understand. Again, some of that language was over their heads at different points, but I think that's okay because we learn, for one, we learn by hearing words that we don't know right, in our vocabulary, but also God's Word doesn't return void. So I believe that just hearing the Word of God read aloud is powerful. Um, It was simple, but it became an intentional part of what we did, 
Um, and there were times, not always, but there were times where they were like, wait, they would remind me or they would correct me because I would like jump too far ahead or I would start reading something. They're like, no, 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 we read about salt and light yesterday. It's the next one. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, sorry. Um, a bedtime routine. It's a great place to, to pray um, or recap their day. That's another thing I think is very helpful when you tuck them in at night going, hey, what was the best part of your day? What was the really hard part about your day today? working through some of those things, and then we'll talk, this I think fits in maybe our third section tonight that we're going to talk about of discipleship strategy, but when, when you work through that best part, worst part of your day, you have the opportunity then for both of those to speak God's truth into the best part of their day and the worst part of their day, okay? I think that's important. Those are daily opportunities that you have to gather around the Word, okay? God's truth. Uh, weekly opportunities. What does this look like? Um, well, I say daily, not just gathering around the Word, but with time with other believers. We're kind of covering all three with all three of these. Those are daily opportunities, weekly opportunities. Worship service, we already mentioned this. You came this morning. You're here tonight. Um, It's worth mentioning again, building in a rhythm of gathering with your church family on a Sunday morning, okay? Uh, The likelihood of that continuing with your kids when they are grown, meaning their habit of attending week after week, um, a worship service, a gathering, the likelihood of that continuing is way higher if you do that every week, then the probability of them building it in when you don't, when you didn't, okay? It's not even close. Uh, are you involved in a life group or in another group, some group where your kids maybe are interacting with other people that are a part of your church? Again, we've talked about this before. Uh, 50% of Christian kids will walk away from their faith after high school. 50%. Two of the biggest factors that research points to, and this is in that sticky faith book that um, Vonda suggested last week, um, a couple of those reasons, two of the biggest factors of that, kids walking away from their faith. One is lack of serving opportunities. Kids or teenagers don't often get engaged in serving in the local church, and so they don't have a connection then when they move out of youth group all of a sudden. Um, the second is lack of meaningful connection with other adults in their church that aren't their parents. Those two things, by the way, can go really well hand in hand, serving alongside a, a, an adult that isn't your parent. That's really important. Make that happen. That's a weekly opportunity. Uh, Another weekly opportunity. Uh, Let's talk about family devotions for a second. Okay, family devotions. Um, I used to like Twitch. I still do a little bit when I think about family devotions. Let's do family devotions. Um, Don't freak out at that. Many a parent uh, fails at this, myself included from time to time, either because they overthink it or they can't keep up or because they aren't intentional and it never materializes. Okay? There's a balance here when it comes to family devotions, but you can, I'm telling you, you can lead a family devotion, okay? Let me address some of those fears first. Uh, one, you don't have to be a theological guru. Um, I'm not. You don't have to provide some beautiful discourse, right, that keeps the attention of all members in your household the entire time, right? It doesn't have to be a curated session outline, and it doesn't have to be long either, Um, but it does have to be thought out, okay? Trying to wing it every week is the fastest way to failure, okay? But as long as you are one step ahead of your children in your spiritual journey through Scripture, you have something you can share with them, as long as you're one step ahead, okay? There are so many resources when it comes to something like this. Weekly family devotions, or scripture reading plans. Um, There are creeds and catechisms that you could work through on a weekly basis. 
um, creeds or statements of belief that would be repeated and memorized by the early church, cementing the core truths about God that held a group of believers together. Um, example would be like the Apostles' Creed. We do that from time to time on Sunday morning uh, here. Um, there are catechisms. I mentioned those. Those teach the core truths of Scripture, um, basically in a question-and-answer format. Um, what do we know about this? What is your only hope in life and death? Christ alone. Like, walking through the doctrines, the core doctrines and truths of Scripture, and then there's an answer back. It's a wonderful tool for memorization and being able to put um, the truth of Scripture in your, in your head before it moves down to your heart. Um, New City Catechism, I'll talk about, is, is back there. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but that, that is a resource where there's 52 questions and then 52 answers per year. It's like a year for you. Um, and there's a kid's version to, that comes to that. Uh, there's a weekly devotion that you can purchase that goes alongside of that. And there's an, a whole app that goes with this thing as well. Uh, it's really well done. There are songs, kids' songs, that help you memorize some of these questions and answers. Phenomenal resource. That's back there on the table. Um, in your time in the Word, so again, we're talking about family devotions. What does it look like to gather once a week, maybe, and just touch base about something that is true from God's Word, okay? What did you read that week? What did you read in your devotions? What did you think about? What, did, did God show you something as you were reading Scripture that week? Um, make that your family devotion. Read that together. Ask them what they think about it. Tell them what God taught you or how that could influence what you or your family does uh, that week. Okay? Gather around uh, the Word. Um, monthly opportunities. So we talked about daily. We talked about weekly. Um, let's talk about monthly opportunities. Once a month, find a way to serve as a family. Find a way to serve as a family. Serve a meal at Hope Rescue. Jump on the Connect team here at Summit Church. Pick up trash in the park. Make a free lemonade stand and tell people that Jesus loves them. Start conversations that way. Visit and play games with nursing home residents. Make and take a loaf of bread to an elderly neighbor. Endless opportunities to serve. Um, one of the things I appreciate about what Gabby does um, with, our, with our kids is she kind of wanders the neighborhood and takes care of some of our older residents um, or people in our church as well. They'll bake bread, and then they'll just show up and just kind of care for them for a little bit. They'll leave some bread and they'll leave. That's a ministry. That's a way to serve. The, what she's doing in that moment is she's building into them, this is what we do for people. Okay? That's something that's important. Uh, month, do that once a month. Once a month, make a one-on-one. -on -one. Here's another once a month thing. Okay? So that was find a way to serve as a family once a month. Um, another thing, make a one-on-one -on -one connection with each of your kids once a month. Okay, I'm not very good at this. I need to get better at this. Um, make a one-on-one -on -one connection with each of your kids where you are sitting down, you are listening to them, you are speaking the gospel to them, you are asking them what they think about Jesus, you're reading scripture with them, ask them how you can grow as a parent. That's a dangerous question. Let them ask you questions. Um, from time to time, I'll try to take the girls out to breakfast at Rise and Shine and just sit down one-on-one -on -one with them. I don't necessarily always have that pre-planned, but being able to just sit down and just make sure the phone is tucked away in the back pocket, okay? Talk to them. Look them in the eye. What are they thinking about? Um, use those opportunities. Make that, make that a priority. Um, so those are some monthly opportunities. Just to kind of, I'm just trying to throw ideas out there. You, you, can, you need to build your own rhythm. But here's some things that you can, that you can do. So all of that um, was discipling by prioritizing your time, okay? Time around the Word, time with other believers, and time living out the gospel. 
Um, there are daily opportunities to do that. There are weekly opportunities to do that. And there are monthly opportunities to do that, okay? The second way I want to give you to strategize um, discipleship is by establishing values. Disciple by establishing values. Is it really already 612? Love it. Okay. Last week, Vonda talked about a mission statement. Um, coming up with a sentence that communicates what purpose uh, you desire for your family to live out uh, and display. And some of you maybe um, bid on that a little bit, and you started to work on that or think about it. Um, it may take a bit of work to finalize it. There are other ideas like that, such as like statements that you would say over and over to your kids um, or with your kids. Um, I know one church in, or one family in our church, their mantra um, from when their kids were little was, don't forget who you are and whose you are. I love that. Don't forget who you are and whose you are. Now, the trick is that you have to be teaching them that along the way. You have to be teaching them who they are and whose they are. Um, but before a teenage boy would then run out of the house, mom would look at him and said, don't forget who you are and whose you are. That's, I think, those, I think those, those things are powerful. The answer to that would be your name, the connection to your family, and that essentially I am not my own. I am a child of God. One of the things I like to say to my girls before I leave in the morning or on a trip, and again, I don't do this every day, so I'm not trying to paint this as like, hey, look at me, I've done this, I do this perfectly. But when I remember, before I walk out in the morning, I try to look them each in the eye and say, you are strong, beautiful, and kind. Just look right, you are strong, you are beautiful, you are kind. Many things like this, I think, are wonderful tools uh, that speak to your kid's identity or remind them of their purpose, which is informed by their identity, by the way. Um, one in particular that I want to I offer you tonight, I think goes hand in hand with this idea of mission, is establishing family values, okay? Not too long ago, we had a Summit Values series, the values of Summit Church determine our actions. I would challenge you, what values should you establish as a family um, that become filters through which you frame everything, what you do, what you think, where you give your time, how you will make decisions, okay? Think about your values as basically like a coat of arms, right? Medieval times, a family crest, it's your unique stamp, right? I'm thinking about like a shield with a dragon on it and like words and stuff, you know what I'm saying? The values, these values are the things that we desire our family, uh, both ourselves and our kids, to embody, to live out, to adhere to, or to be known by, Okay, what are your family values? I want to give you a few examples in just a minute, but thinking through what you value, why this is important is because it keeps an end in mind. Okay, when it comes to discipleship, this is helpful because to know, uh, because you know where you want to head. It's an end of mind target. You know, when my kids are grown, I want them to be this, 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 and this. Those are values then that we have in place and we structure who we are around so that we're, we're aiming towards something. Values are those rails on which your family train can run, okay? Gabby and I have been working on our list. We need to finalize it, but these are some of the values that we've, that we've talked about. So as a family and as individuals in our family, uh, we want to value these, these things. One, we want to value the gospel. We want to value the gospel. It's the good news that Christ died for our sin, procuring new life for us both now and forever. We want to share it with others, rest in its truth, and live by its power, okay? So you'll kind of get a, a little definition and then the action step that goes with it. The gospel is the good news that Christ died for our sin, procuring new life for us both now and forever. Now what's the action step? We want to share it with others, rest in its truth, and live by its power. That's one of our values. Another value would be like personal holiness. Okay, God calls us to be holy as he is holy. We want to pursue a life of holiness through confession and repentance, turning from our sin and toward our Savior. A third value would be compassion. 
The world is full of hurt and brokenness. We want to display Christ-like compassion by caring for those around us. Generosity. God has been so generous to us. We want to cheerfully and faithfully give that to others. Competency. Scripture compels us to work hard and grow. We want to develop confident skill to provide for our family and others. The gospel, personal holiness, compassion, generosity, competency. I would challenge you to come up with a list of values for your family. Um, a list of values. I wouldn't suggest more than five. You can do whatever you want, but I wouldn't suggest more than five. It becomes a little bit long. I wouldn't say anything less than three either. I think three is good. Once you consider the things that you desire for your family to embody, to live out, to adhere to, to be known by, those then become the filters through which you make decisions and, that you, and what you will experience as a family, the, the things that you will give your time to. And the more you practice your family values, your kids will be shaped into the likeness of those things, which is why it should be assumed that those values should be crystal-centric. So how does, how does establishing values play out practically? A couple ideas here. One, focus on one value for the month. Focus on one value for the month. What, is that, what could that look like? Write it on your chalkboard. You all have a chalkboard in your house. I know you do. Write it on your chalkboard. Uh, turn it into a question and answer and recite it at mealtime. Um, memorize scripture that supports it. Make some artwork with your kids that reflects that value. Seek an opportunity to live that value out, okay? Focus on one value a month if you want to. Another way that you could uh, establish value, how that could play out practically. Let your values inform your conversations and decisions, okay? Give you some examples of this in question form. Does this show reflect the holiness I'm desiring to pursue? I'm going to have one question for each of the the values that you saw up there. Uh, does this show reflect the holiness that I'm desiring to pursue? Are we avoiding this because we don't want to be generous? How can you show compassion to your sister right now? What family value can help us think about our schoolwork? When was the last time I shared the gospel with my neighbor? If these are your values, they should be informing your conversations and your decisions. The idea here is that you continue to paint vision with your values, um, showing them the goodness that then can arise from it when we pursue those values. So then as a parent, as you go, you keep these things in front of your kids. So you get them to buy in so that when you run into something, a hard decision, a consequence, a challenging situation with a teenager, you can go, hold on, this is who we are as a family. This is what we're going to hold. These are our values over here. This is outside of that. Okay, so we need to address this now. We need to address why this is outside and what's the reason, what's the gap here, okay? It gives you a platform, essentially, to then work through some of those things. Um, or the opposite end of that. These values keep you accountable. You can't preach these and then ignore them because your kids will sniff that right out. Hey, we value the gospel. When was the last time we talked about Jesus with a friend or a neighbor? So we need to, we need to shut this, ver this uh, session down here. Uh, two things in this session that we talked about. Disciple by prioritizing time and disciple by establishing values. Okay, I want to remind you that all of this happens only through intentionality and consistency. Okay, That doesn't mean it's perfectly laid out or you never miss, but it does mean you have to think through it. You have to put the work in. You have to get into a rhythm. The one-offs every now and then is not effective discipleship. Okay? Maybe start by taking one night a week, not watching Netflix, and talking about your values with your spouse or what, what family worship or devotion could look like. 
Okay, I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a break, but um, as, as part of this break, you can kind of do this either way. You can take your break right now and then come back for the discussion, um, or you can do your discussion first and then go to the break. But here's what I want. It's going to look a little bit different this time. Instead of being table conversations, I want uh, you and your spouse uh, to find a place, or maybe it's just you tonight, find a place away from everybody else, um, and I want you to start a conversation about, or I want you to begin thinking about how and where you can prioritize your time or you can start thinking about family values. Um, if you've already got something going with those two things, great. Take a few minutes to reevaluate it, to think through some of those things. So there are going to be a few prompts on the screen, but this is something I want you to kind of separate out and work on this. Um, you got about 15 minutes, and I'll give you a few minutes heads up um, before we jump back into some of this. So either take a break first or discuss first. Break either way. Don't care. Ready? Break. Okay. Okay. All right, so as we get uh, kind of jump back in here, um, I, the Hatches, they were doing something cool. Like they took the last name and they were doing like an acronym for values. Like they came up with an H value, an A value. It's not done yet, but I'm saying that's cool. That's creative. Yeah, I'd like to see Uyghur. I'd like to see one of those. <laughs> Some of you, that might be a little challenging. Uh, Mezik, that'd be fun. You should try that with a Z. Um, all right, uh, just as we get started here, I want to just point out just a few, uh, uh, some re come on in, Walters. <laughs> I told them I was going to personally go out and make sure that they knew we were starting. She's like, I want to, they wanted to keep the door open so they would hear that we were starting. I was like, it's fine, I'll come out and tell you, and I totally did it. <laughs> you just knew it, Nikita, thank you. I'm so sorry. A um, couple resources uh, we've talked about a lot. I hope that the amount of resources that we have either put out there or talked to you about hasn't overwhelmed you. If it has, I'm sorry. There's just, there are a lot of good resources and, you know, go check, look through the things. Which one do you like? Which one works well with maybe some of your rhythms or some of how your family navigates some of that? Hopefully you'll find something there. Um, family discipleship. That's the first one I want to show you. So a lot of what we talked about tonight, this idea of recapturing like time and moments um, really comes from this book. Um, really, really good resource. I have read this. Uh, Vonda has read this, gone through it. Both highly suggest it. Uh, that is back there on the table. A lot of, again, a lot of what we talked about tonight can be found in there. And they have in this idea of um, the, uh, repurposing ordinary moments, which is where we're about to go. Uh, they have a lot of very practical structures to some of this and ideas and language that you can use and things. We'll get into some of that, but um, very helpful book. Uh, New City Catechism, I already mentioned to you. That's back there on that table. Uh, the King is Coming. That's the next one. Um, you may have to talk to Pastor Caleb a little bit about this, but he made me aware of this today. There's a lot of resources like this uh, for like Advent um, or Lent, um, helping you prepare in seasons like that with your family. Um, for, for moments of spiritual significance in our, in our Christian calendar year, if you will. Um, and this is like kind of a really cool artsy wood uh, advent block uh, leading up to uh, Christmas. And on each of them, I think is like, uh, there you are, um, like a little picture and then kind of a devotional that goes with it and it's scripture and it builds on, oh, and he brought it tonight and it was supposed to be on the table. <laughs> I think is that what it was? Oh, it's there. It's there. He's got it. He's already all set. So go check that out if you have questions. Right, and weaves in the gospel as the anticipation of that Messiah that comes. Written really, written really well is what he said. 
Uh, so check that out. Um, uh, Whentheyask.com. This is a great resource. Um, this is Alyssa Mezik's uh, blog. Um, she's sitting at our back table. You're going to hear a lot more from Alyssa uh, in a few weeks. In our last um, night, we're going to be talking about navigating gender and sexuality, that whole conversation. Um, she's going to be teaching a lot that night. Um, but this is her blog. Um, basically, she helps give thoughtful answers um, to when your kids ask big questions, essentially. Um, I'd highly encourage you to check that out. Um, she does a wonderful job. Um, just love her heart in a lot of those, a lot of those things. Um, Whentheyask.com, check that out. Um, so first session, we talked about discipling by prioritizing your time. We talked about discipling by establishing values. The last bit of strategy I want to offer you uh, tonight um, is disciple by repurposing ordinary moments. Repurpose by, or disciple by repurposing ordinary moments. Um, when, I, when I read through De- Deuteronomy 6, um, those verses, uh, we've referenced this a lot already, but there are a lot of ordinary moments that maybe stick out to me in those verses. Um, so again, Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So when you sit at home, that's an ordinary moment. When you walk or drive along the road, that's an ordinary moment. When you go to bed, when you get up, <laughs> that's an ordinary moment. I have no idea what that was. Um, it goes on to talk about symbols on your hands and ordinary everyday things like the doors on your houses. Okay? So when, you're, um, t- when we're talking about moments, we're not talking about pre-planned appointments or weekly rhythms that you're working at curating. Some of that, what we talked about last section. These are, these are unplanned, happening-on-the-fly experiences that the Lord has gifted you, okay? And so every conversation with your child, every interaction, whether they are good or bad, are unpromised moments to you that are impossible to get back. You recognize that, okay? Whether good or bad, every interaction, every conversation, those are unpromised moments to you that you can't ever really get back. So how can we repurpose ordinary moments to train up our children in the ways of the Lord? Being ready to teach them a bit of God's truth when the opportunity arises. You're leveraging moments for the gospel. Okay, so simply stated is this. Discipling your children means taking advantage of any situation to communicate something true about God to your family. Okay? What we can't forget is that Um, A single remark or a conversation can change the trajectory of a person's life. How many of you could point to at least one thing uh, that has been said to you at some point in your life, maybe when you were a kid or a teenager or even a young adult, has been said to you that just has always stuck with you and you just can't shake it? That's just kind of been burned in your head and it has helped put feet uh, to what you do or who you are and what you are now maybe passing on to others. And we have moments like that, something like that. Um, God can and does use ordinary moments to cause chain reactions in family lines. He does. Um, so would you, would you pray? Pray that God would do this in your family. Pray that God would do that in your family. Faithfully plant seeds of the gospel and then, and then that he would produce generations of faithful believers because of your faithfulness, okay? He does that. Matthew 13, 23, the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who, is, who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times 
what was sown. God can produce generations of faithful believers when you are faithful to disciple your kids, okay? Repurpose ordinary moments. Before we reframe that idea or frame that idea of repurposing ordinary moments, there's a couple things I think that need to be in place before we work into some of the practical things here. You need to know that repurposing ordinary moments takes readiness and willingness. It takes readiness and willingness. Remember why this works. You can repurpose ordinary moments because God is omnipresent, meaning that He is everywhere. Also, His very Spirit is within believers. So God is always at work around you. God is always at work around you. And then Romans 1.20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So God is everywhere. He's always up to something. And so the opportunities for family discipleship are endless when it comes to these ordinary moments, okay? What this means, however, is that we often become desensitized to it, right? God is always at work. He's always working around us. His, his eternal powers, divine nature, are, are, are clearly seeing, being understood from what has been made, people without excuse. But we're so, it's out there so much, we walk out. You, have you been here early on a Sunday morning when the sun is coming up over the east and you're sitting at the top of the hill on summit? It's like, oh, it blew me away this morning as I pulled in, okay? Those are, those are moments where God kind of takes my breath away with his creation. But we get desensitized to the things that we see day after day after day. So we need to be ready, we need to be willing to jump on those moments when they arrive, okay? So in other words, are you paying attention, and will you pause, will you slow down, and take note of the evidence of God and the applications of the gospel that are nearby to you, okay? So repurposing ordinary moments takes readiness and willingness. The second thing is this, repurposing, repurposing ordinary moments is appropriate everywhere and in every circumstance, Repurposing ordinary moments is appropriate everywhere and in every circumstance. So when kids are thrilled and excited, and when they are frustrated and upset, it's appropriate to repurpose an ordinary moment. When they are beaming with pride and when they are sad and confused, you can repurpose an ordinary moment. When they're holding the new baby or they're at grandpa's funeral, you can repurpose an ordinary moment. So you need to keep this in mind so that your children see the one constant is not their circumstance, but it's the God who is good through all situations. Okay? Let's, so let's frame out this idea. With those two things in mind, let's frame out this idea. Okay? The goal of repurposing ordinary moments is to teach your children characteristics of God and godly characteristics. That's, that's what we're talking about here. It's not rocket science. I can't believe I just said that. The goal of repurposing ordinary moments is to teach your children characteristics of God and godly characteristics. So let's look at the first one, teaching the characteristics of God. So the purpose here is to help your kids know God, okay? Who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he is like. Your children, as they go throughout life, will very quickly learn that the world uh, that they live in and the people in it are broken, okay? And this includes themselves, by the way. So what they need then, as they are seeing that and learning that, they need to be able to rest on something that isn't broken or that isn't falling short. So giving them an accurate picture of God, his characteristics, gives them a foundation, something to stand on, something that provides weight and stability, okay? Your task is then to help them develop that accurate picture of God and how he can be intimately involved in their lives. 
So let me give you a list of characteristics of God and some examples of maybe how this can play out, how you can teach a characteristic of God out of an ordinary moment, okay? God is wise, he's generous, he's loving, he's good, he's unchanging. Where's my list? He's creative, he's just, he's faithful, he's provisionary, merciful, personal, almighty, compassionate, worthy. So as you walk along the road, as you drive, as you sit at home, how might the Holy Spirit give you an opportunity and then direct you to point out a characteristic of God to your family? So the other day, I'm going to give you examples. The other day I was working with Kelani on math. Okay, she is a perfectionist in everything um, to a fault. And that's probably our fault. <laughs> so when she writes something down or she doesn't hit the bullseye every time when she's doing archery, it crushes her. Even if she knows the right answer, when she, write, if she writes something down, she realizes she wrote it the wrong way, she goes to erase it, which is like the point, like you're recognizing it and changing it. That's good. If she writes it down the wrong way, and the fact it wasn't perfect the first time will literally bring tears to her eyes. It overwhelms her, she is crushed, and then she's useless to do anything else. She can't do the rest of the maths, okay? So I've been trying to remind her in those moments. I had one of these the other nights sitting out, out. Gabby had already worked with her for a long time. It was kind of over that. It was like it was my turn to step in. So I took Kelly out, sat down in the green chair, sitting on my lap, working on math, having one of these moments. And I'm trying to remind her in those moments that only God is perfect, only God is perfect, so I don't expect her to be, and she shouldn't either. Moreover, our struggles and imperfections are why Jesus came, and he gives us the power to learn and recognize what we have done wrong so that he can help us make it right. So even this process of like erasing the wrong answer and knowing the right one and rewriting it is actually a beautiful thing that points to the gospel. So I'm trying to do that um, in moments like that. that's a way to teach something about God and how that can how the gospel is true even in moments like that okay repurposing that moment um, let's look at the second component of this teaching uh, godly character so that was one example of um, a characteristic of God there's endless things you can do there um, let's look at the second component of this teaching godly character okay the purpose here um, is to help your kids grow in godliness who am I who has God called me to be what has he asked of me how can I become more like him, okay? Being both an encourager who fans into flame the godly characteristics you want to see and a disciplinarian who addresses the missteps is essential work for you as a Christian parent. You got to do both. Um, now, this may seem like parenting 101, but I think this is a helpful way to think about it, um, is to point out and encourage your children when they display a fruit of the Spirit, okay? Um, I've been growing in this because it's too easy to let those things become, of course, you're supposed to do that. Like, that should be normal, right? It's not. It's the other way around. Normalness is flesh, right? Not spirit. And so when they display an, uh, a fruit of the spirit, um, address that, right? Don't only address the things that fall outside of God's law. So we've got to repurpose ordinary moments by affirming the work of the spirit in their lives. So where and how are you seeing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your kids? You see it in an ordinary moment. Look them in the eye and call it out. As I was working on some of this today, I was sitting at that table right there, and Sophie was next to me. She is not a patient individual, and she was waiting for me to finish, and I noticed that she had been sitting there calmly waiting for me for like 20 minutes. That's eons for her. And so I was like writing this. I'm like, hey, <laughs> you're being really patient. <laughs> Thank you for being patient. That's, that's Jesus at work in you. Thank you for being patient. I know that you would like to go and get home. 
Repurpose those ordinary moments. Look them in the eye, call it out. Little, little side bit here, but I think this is important for a couple of reasons. The obvious one, why we would do this, calling out um, you know, work of the Spirit in their life, the obvious one is to affirm God's work in their life. It reinforces correct behavior, obviously. But more importantly, at least for me right now, the way I'm thinking through this, is that it creates an understanding in your kid's brain that says, Daddy connects with me both when things are good and when they aren't. Okay? I'm going to need that in a few years when teenagers fill my house. If they think that every time you want to talk to them one-on-one means that they're in trouble, then they won't feel like they can initiate a conversation with you or feel insecure or feel secure hearing directly from you. So we need to point out and we need to celebrate when they're filled with joy or when they're being patient, kind, or controlling themselves when it's hard. The other moments perhaps are maybe more easy to recognize are the ones where you want to teach your kids the seriousness of sin and the abundance of God's grace. Those moments are much harder to navigate repurposing these moments because of our own flesh. Our own flesh is at play. Our own emotions are at play. But as you correct behavior, take the opportunity to remind them it's because God loves us that he wants and requires us to live a better way. Forgiveness doesn't mean a lack of consequences, but it does mean that you won't hold those things against your children. You see the difference? That's closely tied with our owning the gospel bit, right? The more you ask for forgiveness, the quicker you extend forgiveness, the easier for them to develop an accurate picture of a God who graciously forgives them. God's love doesn't change according to their behavior, and neither does or should yours, okay? Your best resource for knowing what to say and how to apply it in these moments is God's Word. Read the teachings of Jesus. Memorize it for yourselves. God's Spirit will guide you. That's His promise to you. And as you relay that in critical discipleship moments, the Spirit will help you. Jesus did this, by the way, all the time. He used moments to disciple, whether it was on a boat or in the temple or in front of a fig tree, looking at a poor widow, pointing out what God truly desires from us. After conversing with the rich man, he turned to his disciples and teaches them about God's ability to do the impossible when we surrender to him. Or when he reveals his heart for children when the disciples tried to keep them away. He chastised them as well, you may recall, but it was always in the context of a loving relationship that he had with them. We must disciple by repurposing those ordinary moments. Um, Other things that help with this Uh, the values conversation that we had earlier, right? Or the foundational truths about God that we're establishing in ourselves that your kids, that you help your kids memorize. Ordinary moments, repurposing those become easier to navigate or appeal to when you have something else to stand on. So when you have the values thing to stand on or a mission thing to stand on, when you've prioritized your time, you've established values, you can, your repurposing ordinary moments just becomes another building block uh, to all that. You have something to stand on Uh, through some of that. Um, It's 6.54. So here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to invite Gabby to come up here. She is at home a lot more than me. Um, And so some of this stuff, like I have obviously the opportunity to do a lot of what I've talked about, but she has a lot more opportunity (laughs) to do some of this. And she sees this in different lights. She's a stay-at-home mom. She's at home full-time. And so I asked her to just kind of maybe share some of the ways that some of this that I've been talking about has at least seeing how she seeing how she sees that played out um, at home. So can you talk a little bit about um, how you've at least attempted to repurpose ordinary moments when it comes to maybe conflict in particular, specifically conflict between siblings? That's an ordinary moment. That happens, right? All the time. All the time. <laughs> um, 
one thing that stands out to me is kids are not logical in those moments. They are emotionally driven. And so um, there's actually one of the baby believer books back there it talks about the emotions that Jesus experienced. And so it's a book that we read at home and Jesus was angry. He um, was overwhelmed. He was sad. Um, he was also excited and filled with joy. Um, and so when our kids are having one of their moments with each other, we, we look at them or attempt to. Sometimes my emotions overwhelm me and it all goes out the window. But to look at them and acknowledge and affirm the emotion that they are feeling um, and to slow down and do that first before we address the response or the behavior um, is just putting it on, a, on more of a level playing field of, hey, Jesus experienced this too. And so how then can we be like Jesus in our responses? Um, and so we talk through that, acknowledge their emotions, help them calm down so we can work through something together. Um, one of the phrases that we've been using is, when you took my toy, it made me feel fill in the blank. Um, and they're able to understand each other a little bit better in those moments and to work through that. And then um, instead of saying, okay, tell your sibling I'm sorry, um, we've used the phrase, I shouldn't have hit you, will you forgive me? And so stating the action that we maybe shouldn't have done, asking for forgiveness versus putting the words I'm sorry in their mouth because we want that to come naturally, not out of a um, response sure. of something that we just and they have to own, make them say. They yeah, have to own to that first of, I shouldn't have done this. Um, it's so quick, it's so easy for me to just m jump past some of that. Um, when it takes, you gotta prioritize, this is a prioritizing time example here. Of you have to slow down and go, okay, when you're, let's work through this. When you did this, it made me feel, I ain't got time for that. I don't have time for that. Um, but I need to make time for that. I need to prioritize that. Those are the things that are hard. Um, how about expectations of chores? Okay, so chores are ordinary things. Um, how do we repurpose those moments without maybe manipulating them? <laughs> um. So one thing we've worked on lately, especially with our girls this summer, um, taking ownership of chores, is there was a verse that was given to me by um, a friend. And Genesis 2.15 says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. It was good. That's before the fall. Work is a gift. And so how do we show our kids that work is a gift? Um, one, one way of doing that is acknowledging where, like, I don't like dishes. I really don't like dishes. But my attitude when I'm doing the dishes can be an example of teaching them how chores are a gift. And so we've talked through that as one of my kiddos who is helping me will be like, I hate dishes. I say, great, I don't, I don't really like dishes either, but my, one of my dreams has always been to have a family. And through that dream, God has blessed me in this way. I have four beautiful girls, I have a husband. We're, we're our, the family that I dreamed about. Beautiful husband. Beautiful yeah. husband. <laughs> um, and through that blessing comes responsibility. Um, and so it is a joy to serve and to take care of the blessings God has given us. And we can be joyful when we're doing that. And so um, just, just living that out and not complaining about what we're doing and being the example of having them do that alongside us. Um, a younger chore, I guess you want to call it, like brushing your teeth. We have a little one who does not like to brush her teeth, but 
that's something expected of her um, because that's hygiene. Um, but finding a song, um, the recommendation is brush your teeth for, you know, two minutes. Find a song that's two minutes that speaks truth about Jesus um, and play that and have that be something that they might not like brushing their teeth, but what little kid doesn't like songs, music? And it can make that time more enjoyable. It can also be instilling truth into those moments. Yeah. All right, last one. Maybe talk a bit about differences as they grow. Okay, so repurposing ordinary moments looks different for Lena, who's almost two, and Kelly, who's almost nine. So how do we repurpose ordinary moments when they're in different stages? Yep. Um, so the younger ages, it's more of the head knowledge. We want to point out God's character. Um, there's another book by Ellie Holcomb called Don't Forget to Remember, and it talks about all the things that you see in creation and how that can remind us of who God is um, and what that means for us. And so as we go throughout our day, we are pointing out to Lena um, the colors that God created and the beauty that he is and the gentleness that might be um, and something else. And so pointing that out along the way. Um, but as they get older, um, that becomes more relational. And we want to, um, like you were saying earlier, kind of point out um, those moments. So, Emma, I saw Jesus in you when you filled Boca's water dish, even though that's not your chore. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you took the initiative to take care of something. You knew that would help out your sister. Um, or, Sophie, I saw Jesus in you when you ran and got a Band-Aid when um, Kelly scraped up her knee. Um, and so really help pointing out the character piece in your kids as they get older versus just the character of God to some of the younger ones. There's kind of a shift there. Um, Part of that is taking ownership and responsibility as well. So talking about the serving piece. Take your little ones with you. Um, sometimes it can feel like it creates more of a mess and makes it a lot harder. <laughs> but take them with you so they can see it and be a part of it. But as they get older, give them some ownership in those moments. Um, so if we're taking a meal somewhere, I will encourage our kids to, hey, can you make the card that goes with the meal? Or um, as we're going through our neighborhood, um, Emma knows that our neighbor loves the fresh tomatoes. And so she's actually taken that on. Hey, there's more. Can I take them over? And so watching out my door where I can see her, even though she doesn't know it the whole time, she gets to walk that over to the neighbor um, and, and be that blessing to the neighbor versus me doing all of that. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Um, here's just a couple announcements. We need, to, we need to end our time. But all of these, oh, you can stay up here with me if you want. Um, all of these are just are ways that you repurpose ordinary moments. Like all of you have different rhythms. Every, you have different experiences as a family. You have different moments uh, that come and go throughout your day. Um, again, God's grace will help you in those moments. But can you start thinking about what it looks like for you to, um, to take an ordinary moment and repurpose it? How can you leverage the gospel? What can you teach about the Lord to your family, to a child in a moment? Um, because of an experience that, uh, that they've had. Um, I'll give you a couple announcements, and then um, I'm going to have you guys pray at your tables uh, before, uh, before you leave. A um, couple announcements. One, next week is we're going to be talking about managing discipline. Okay, So we've kind of, again, laid the foundation for um, discipleship, and then the next three weeks what we're going to be doing is looking at maybe kind of three topics, again, that are at the forefront of Christian parenting. Discipline is definitely one of those, okay? So we're going to talk about what it looks like to manage discipline. Ellen Morse will be teaching. You don't want to miss that. Um, following that, the next week will be Pastor Bradley. He'll be talking to us about handling technology. 
Um, Eliza Mezik and I, I mentioned this earlier, will be closing out um, our class thinking through how we navigate gender and sexuality. Um, and then uh, we've had that phone number at the bottom of the screen. Again, that's always there for you. It's a great way to ask questions. Um, but I wanted to remind you, Alyssa thought that brought this to my attention last week, especially if you have a question maybe in anticipation of these next three weeks, discipline. What's a question you have about discipline that you'd rather maybe like text in and not like talk about um, out loud or gender and sexuality or technology, like text that to that number and then we can see that before that, uh, before that comes in. We can maybe address some of those things or try to. Um, Vonda will be around and about on your way out. She's over there. She's got your books uh, that she purchased for you. That's the ages and stages thing. Um, so on your way out, make sure one uh, person from your family uh, grabs uh, one of those. And then there's also, last thing, there is a jar of marbles on the table, the resource table. On your way out, grab a marble, put it in your pocket, and let that remind you that what you do this week matters, what you do next week matters, okay? Um, here's what I want to do to close. I want uh, majority rules, one of you, pick one person at your table to cover <laughs> the other people at your table in prayer for the week. Um, just have one person at your table pray this week, over this week, about strategy. How can we, God, help us, um, help us develop um, strategy. Help us as we think critically about discipling our children. God, will you help us in these ways this week? So pick one person at your table to pray, and then when you guys are done, by all means, get your kids. Head on out. Love you. We'll see you next week.